0: now you may be single here today or listening to this message please don't switch off please don't think Pastor John is not talking to me today you may be separated or divorced please don't switch off you may have no intention of getting married please don't switch off You may be very, 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 very happily married and think that there's nothing that can happen to your marriage that can improve it. Please don't switch off. Okay? This is not just uh, a a how to make your marriage better message. It's going to be over two weeks. We've got a bit of echo going on here. And over those two weeks, we're going to lay some really strong foundations from God's word and then we're going to open up the commands that God gives us that he speaks into marriages because it's when we obey God's command that we experience what? His kingdom. That's what we've been been learning over the last few weeks. You see, when we become a Christian... When God saves us from our sin, what he does, the Bible says, is he rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and he transfers us into the kingdom of his dear son. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who calls me Lord will experience, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we have been learning by the Spirit of God how God has transferred us into his kingdom, but beyond that, how we can experience it on a day-to-day basis. And Jesus said, I can do nothing except what I see my Father in heaven doing. And the same is true for us when we will look into heaven, when we will look into God's word, when we will find out from God what his will is and we will obey it, we experience the kingdom of God. That's how we experience God's kingdom, by obeying his word. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, actually, that's how we show we love God. Now, none of these verses are on screen because they've been in your notes for the last few weeks and I know that you know them. I'm just reminding you of them. 1 John 5 verse 3 says that we show our love to God by obeying his commandments and his commandments are not hard. So when God says, you want to experience my kingdom and we say, yes, Lord. He says, then all you have to do is obey what I've told you to do. And we say, but God, it's so hard. He says, no, no, my son, my daughter, it's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not burdensome. My commands have been made for you to bring life into your experience so that you can know what my life is really like. And simply all we do is submit to what God says. How many of you know that God is perfect? He's perfect. The Bible says all his ways are perfect. And when we obey what God commands us to do, then we are obeying perfect commands. Now, John chapter 15, verses 9 to 10 say this. As the Father has loved me, This is Jesus speaking. I also have loved you, speaking to his disciples. So we are his disciples, of course. Then he says this, abide in my love. Stay there. Stay there. Don't go. Don't leave. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So here it's so simple. I love the simplicity of God. He says, if you want to experience my love, all you need to do is is obey my commandments. You know, he could have said, your bank account has to have five million dollars in. He could have said, you have to go through at least seven days without sinning. Before you can experience my love. He could have said, you must be a Christian for at least three years. Then you'll experience my love. But those would be crazy conditions to put on something which is free and to be experienced simply by doing what Jesus tells us to do. I've had so many people say to me, I'm not sure that God loves me anymore. Have you ever, don't put your hand up, but you may have thought that. I'm not sure that God loves me anymore. And as I keep talking to them, most times, almost every time, I discover that, to put it simply, they are living in disobedience to God. They know what God has said, but they're choosing not to do it. Maybe they they haven't forgiven somebody. Maybe they are holding uh, a grudge against a person. They're they're feeling that someone has cheated on them. They're looking for revenge. Whatever it is, it's when we disobey the words of Christ, that's when we don't sense the love of God. That sin, that disobedience, acts like a, a really thick filter. It doesn't mean that God stopped loving us. It means that our heart has stopped being in a place where we can receive it. That's the difference. Because we've judged someone else. We've judged our own heart. And our own heart becomes closed. And we can't see and we can't experience God's love. Even though it's right there. You know, it's raining outside. It's really thick clouds. Did you know the sun is still shining? All you've got to do is get above those clouds and it's really bright sunshine and you better put your sunscreen on. And and when we disobey God, it's like clouds come into our heart. The sun is still shining. God is still loving us, but our heart has become close to it because we've stepped away from him. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. Now we're going to do a really quick recap, five minutes, and then we're going into our meat for today. Imi- We've talked about imitating God. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. For two weeks, we've touched on being imitators of God. I, I just want to say this one thing. Imitating God does not mean pretending to be like him. It's not finding what God is doing and then pretending to be like him. It's simply doing what he does. We're not called to be pretenders, people who pretend to be something that we're not, people who make something up. God has called us just simply to look into his kingdom, to see what he is doing, and to do the same. And and that does not just have to apply To when we are trying to deal with negative or unpleasant circumstances in our life. It it, it is not just intended to be a reaction or a response. God intends us to live this way. To constantly be seeking his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Always. At all times. Paul says pray without ceasing. So if you're driving, can you pray? As long as you don't shut your eyes, you can. And as long as you don't put your hands together like this, yes you can. Because prayer is not some formal religious duty. It is simply and purely communication with God by his spirit and our spirit. Constantly listening for what the Spirit of God is saying. On Friday, we had packed everything into a big truck. We had put stuff into two cars, and there was not room for our TV. Um, if you've visited our house, you'll, you'll know we have this, our TV's not quite as big as that screen. But about three years ago, somebody was moving and said, Pastor, w- would you like our TV set? And it's a nice Sony TV set, about 55 inches, maybe. I don't know how big it is. My eyes took about a week to adjust to watching it. And you have to sit like, you know, six meters away from it. So anyway, we couldn't get it in. No room in the truck, no room in the car. And my wife calls me. I'm at the bank getting, getting the checks She says, darling, we have a bit of a problem. I said, oh, what's that? She said, "Uh, we can't get the TV in. And when she said that, from the top of my head to the sole of my feet, peace just overwhelmed me. And God said, it's okay, I've got it. You see, when we're constantly in communication with God, always seeking his kingdom, One day I'll tell you the rest of that story. It is an incredible miracle what happened with that TV set. Can't tell you today. not enough time. An amazing, an amazing miracle. Am I tempting you here? (laughs) But I had absolute peace. And we found a home for it, by the way, and I collected it yesterday. I wish I had time. Living, always seeking peace. God's kingdom, living in that place where God's word is constantly filling and flooding your spirit, constantly in communion with him. So you know what God's doing. You're seeing it. And then you're just aligning your life with what he's doing. I tell you, my friends, it just takes all the pressure out. So many people who 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 would say they're Christians, are almost going insane, trying to live what they call a Christian life, trying to be a better person, trying to come up to God's standards. And God's already told us, hey guys, you can't do that. It's not possible. And what God wants to do is to fill us with His Spirit which is done and by his spirit constantly keep bringing his word into our hearts so that whether we feel we're in season or out of season, we're ready. My son often tells me, he says, dad, nothing takes God by surprise. And we may be a little surprised sometimes, or we may be shocked even, but we can have that fellowship with God so that always We know what God is doing. And and you may think, well, yeah, you can because you have the title pastor. It has nothing to do with that. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of him, if you're a child of God, the spirit of God is in you and, and you can listen and talk with God all the time. You can go to sleep doing it. You can wake up in the morning doing it as one with God by his spirit. So when we're told to be imitators of God, we don't have to try and to pretend. You know, you may be in a work situation that's a little bit difficult. You don't have to try to be a Christian. Oh, I I shouldn't respond this way. Uh, I must always be kind. I must never swear. I must never get angry. I must try to be really, really good. Guess what? You can't. But Christ in you can. And if you just keep listening to the Spirit of God, he will fill you with his word and with his power and enable you. And if this is not your experience yet, this is my word for you this morning. Just believe it. And let God give you those opportunities Begin to have those constant conversations. It doesn't mean you have to stop work. Don't go to your place of work tomorrow and say, Pastor said I have to pray all day and you still have to pay me. I I, I don't have to work. No, you can pray and work at the same time. You can keep talking constantly, fellowshipping with God. And when we do that, we can imitate God. And just finally to, to, to cap here, God has given us, Everything that we need to be able to do that. As I said to you, we are his children. We imitate our father. We look what Papa's doing. And as his children adopted into his family, we learn from him. We imitate him. He said that he will always be with us. He will never leave us. There is never a time and there is never an area of your life or my life where this truth does not apply. As we are his children, he will father us. He's a perfect father. And he wants us to mature. He wants us to see what he's doing and do it with him. Second thing God has done is that he's given us his spirit. Now we're going to be talking about marriages these next two weeks. I want you to remember these things. That God has made you his child. And he's given you his spirit. And these are the gifts that God has given to us. That enable us to not only know God's commands for us in marriage but to fulfill them, not as a duty, not as an obligation, but because when we see what God is doing and we listen to what God is saying to us, we know that he's a perfect father, that his ways will always and will only ever lead us into life. And so the thing we want to do more than anything is to obey what Father God tells us to do. Why? Because that's when we'll experience his kingdom. I don't know about you, but but in, in, in my marriage I want to I need to experience the kingdom of God. I want to see what God is saying about my marriage. I want that. And I know that God will enable me to believe that because God's word is always true. You know, my friends, there are many voices in our world today that talk to us about marriage. And sadly, there are many interpretations of what marriage means. So I want to say this as we as we now start to to think about God's kingdom in marriages Our only reference point is going to be God's word. Okay? You just have to be clear about that. We are not going to be uh, agreeing with popular opinion. We're not going to go with modern trends. We're not deliberately trying to step on anybody else's toes in terms of doctrines and beliefs. We're simply going back to the word of God Which is eternal and perfect and true. Now, what we need to do if we're going to see God's kingdom come into our lives, whether it's in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, is to be able to acknowledge God's word can never fail. God's word is not like a department store. How many of you like shopping? Why? Come on, men. Uh, sorry? Online shopping. Okay, we've got a few more hands up there now. I tell you what, if you're looking to start a small business, go into home, home delivery. That's going to rocket in the next five years. There we go, free advice. Shopping. I love shopping. I used to hate it. I asked the Lord to help me to love it. Shall I tell you why? Because my wife loves it. And I love it. Often, if we get a few hours free during the week, my wife will say, what should we do? I said, should we go to Myeongdong, do some shopping? You think I'm kidding, don't you? I'm honestly telling you the truth. I love walking around the stores with my wife. I love it when she tries clothes on and she comes and she says, what do you think, honey? And I give her my honest opinion. She asks me because she's interested, because she's interested in what I think. And I give her an honest opinion because I love her and I want to respect her that way. I've come to love shopping. So guys, if, you know, if, if, if it's between you, you inviting me out for a pizza and my wife saying, shall we go shopping? You lose every time. You lose every time. I love it. And guys, learn. Ask the Lord to help you with this. I know traditionally there's this there's this stigma. You know, where where the husband gets out his wallet and gives the card and says, "Okay, you need to go some shopping. You go. I, I'm I'm not coming. We're just going to fall out. We're going to have arguments." Don't don't be silly. You're bigger than that. You're not little kids. And you say, "Well, I hate it. It's boring." And get to like it. Do it because you love your wife. Don't, don't, when she comes home and she's got this garment and she tries it on, don't say to her, what is that? (laughs) Because she should say to you, well, you didn't come with me. I can't take it back. See, it's smart as well. But seriously, learn to love your wife this way. If you're in the habit of shouting amen or hallelujah or praise the Lord, that was a good time to do it, whether you're male or female. Come on. Yeah, shout me down here. I'm telling you the truth. Learn to love your, your, your wife this way. And don't do it to get something in return. Don't bargain these things with your wife. Don't say, well, I'll come shopping with you if, you know, when we get home, you know, we can get a bit cozy, a bit close, a bit affectionate. No, don't. that's not love then. That's lust. Yeah, you're just trading affections. That's lust. Don't do that. Do it. Out of a heart that wants to give freely. Why? Because that's how God loves us. We're going to be talking more about this. I've wetted your appetite for next week already. At least the wives, anyhow. So as we go into these things, hold them in your heart. If you have children, you're married, you have children, hold these things in your heart because they're going to be wonderful truths that you can you can take into conversations with your children as they start to grow up and think about relationships and friendships. So don't, don't switch off. Whatever la- marital status you are, don't switch off as we go into our teaching this morning. First, first heading, marriages made in heaven. Have you heard that expression? It's kind of a poetic one. Oh, you should see him and her. Their marriage is made in heaven. And I guess it's meant to mean that it's kind of got God's blessing on it. It never goes wrong. It's always one big honeymoon and it doesn't really exist. But my friends, I think that as Christians, that's where our marriages need to be made. In heaven. I have a heavenly marriage. I have a marriage, and so does my wife, by the way, which demonstrates the beautiful kingdom of God. Our marriage is made and built in heaven. When you're building something, you have to get the foundations right. Okay? So let me read these verses to you. Out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to to chapter 7, verse 1. Now, we've got two of those verses on your notes, but the rest I'm going to read to you. This is from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He said these words. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Let me stop there. Yoked together. If you were a farmer and you were uh, living in in a country... That doesn't have tractors or other machinery, you might have an ox that you're using to plow, to to pull this plow that turns over the soil. And if you have two oxen together, to stop them, to stop one going this way and the other going that way, which doesn't make for good plowing. You join them together across the shoulders with what's called a yoke. Has nothing to do with eggs. Okay? This is usually a piece of wood that's carved to shape over the shoulders, the front shoulders of the two oxen. And it joins them together, it yokes them together. So you don't see this too much nowadays. But my great-grandfather used to work on a farm, and, and w- where he lived, we had these huge horses, like the size of a bus almost, not really, but very big. And they would use those for plowing, and they had a similar implement, a yoke that joined them together. So they they effectively became one, like one animal working together. And You had to match them size for size. And if you had a very experienced animal, you needed to be able to put that with an inexperienced so that the experienced one could teach the younger one how to pull a plow. And the way they joined them together was with this yoke. So when Paul says, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, That's what he's talking about. He's saying, Christians, don't join yourself as a yoke, with a yoke, with unbelievers. Now, what does that mean to be unequally yoked? Does it mean that we cannot be friends? Now, by the way, I'm just going to be real open with everybody this morning. If you're listening to this this morning and you're not a Christian, I'm not trying to be offensive. God is not trying to be offensive by calling you an unbeliever. It's because He loves us, He's always honest with us. And if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if He's never forgiven you of your sin, then this is what the Bible calls you an unbeliever. It's not nasty, it's not derogatory, it's just truth. And if you want to be right with God, the Bible's very clear. You simply repent of your sin and believe that Jesus is the only one who can save you and make you right with God. So when we talk about Christians and pre-Christians or unbelievers, we're not saying Christians are better than unbelievers. God doesn't love, listen to this, God doesn't love Christians more than he loves pre-Christians. If he did, it would be a sad state. If suddenly when we become a Christian, God loves us more. No way. No way. He, he loved us so much before we were saved that he let Jesus die for us. And you can't love anyone more than that. Okay? So, Paul is not saying, God is not saying, you can't be friendly with pre-Christians, unbelievers. You can't be work colleagues with them you can't be neighbors you can't sit on the same bus in the seat or subway that's not being yoked together being yoked together is where you're living as one so one of the one of the most poignant applications of this scripture is marriage because we'll read in a moment that that God says that when people get married, God sees them no longer as two, but one flesh. So this scripture is very applicable to marriage. It's not only to marriage, but very applicable. Because in marriage, according to God, two become as one. Or two become one, not as one. They become one. Just as those two ox become As one animal. Are you okay with this at the moment? I'm trying to take it step by step. So he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What could we say from that? How could we interpret that? As a Christian, somebody who loves God and follows Jesus, very simply, don't marry somebody who is a pre-Christian. Now, he doesn't say don't marry a bad person, never marry an ex-convict, never marry somebody from a different country with a different language, with different culture. No, he doesn't say any of that. Otherwise, most of us here would be sinning because <laughs> we've, we've got some beautiful mixed nationality marriages. It's, it's beautiful because what country we're born in what language we speak, what culture we have adopted, those things are not what make us one. Those are not the things that unite us. They can be challenging sometimes, but they are not what unite us. So Paul Paul says, God says through Paul, believers, don't be yoked, don't become one with an unbeliever. And then he goes on to explain why he says for what in common or what fellowship has righteousness referring to the believer with lawlessness the unbeliever what in common what fellowship has light with darkness what would your answer be to those questions so far what is what is there in common between Righteousness and lawlessness, light and dark. What what is there in common? I see some shaking heads. Nothing. There's nothing in common. They're not just different, they're opposite. If you had one end of a scale and the other end of the scale, they would be on, on both ends. They never come together. They never can function together. They will always be Opposed to one another. They'll always be in great conflict with each other. What accord or what union has Christ with Belial? Or what part, what joining or connection does a believer have with an unbeliever? There is nothing in common. Nothing. You say, well, we're both humans. Yeah, that's about it. But there's, as for a person who's given their life to Jesus, there's nothing else in common between that person and someone who does not believe in Jesus. And this is where it's important that we understand and we preach the pure gospel message. Because the lines that distinguish between a Christian and a pre-Christian have become very, very blurred in many places. Now, first of all, it's not down to man to judge if a person is a Christian or not. But we can know by the fruits that that person produces in their life. God is the final judge. But a Christian... Is some uh, Let me say it this way. A non-Christian, a pre-Christian, where are they living? Don't tell me Suwan. No, I don't mean that. They're living in the kingdom of darkness. Who is their master? And I'm just quoting the Bible, okay? This is not me. This is the Bible. Who is their master? Satan. What is their heart full of? Sin. Are they connected or separate from God? Separate from God, what do their lives produce? What type of fruit—the fruit of or the works of death, flesh? Now let's think about a you got that picture? Yeah, that's pretty dismal, isn't it? Now here's the Christian. What kingdom do they live in? Kingdom of God. Who's their master? Jesus is. He's their Lord. That's what Lord means. Master. What is their heart full of? Righteousness. God's life. What does their life produce? What fruits? The fruits of the Spirit. Not just different. Opposite. Can you see the wisdom of God here? The, the loving wisdom of God that says, beloved child, dearly beloved child, never yoke yourself to an unbeliever. Why? Is it because the unbeliever is nasty, mean, bitter, wicked, that God doesn't love them? No, none of those things. And and sometimes those it can appear that the person who's a pre-Christian is a good person, a kind person, a generous person. But if God doesn't dwell in their hearts by His Spirit, they're living in the kingdom of darkness, their heart is full of sin, and so on. And those that that type of life and the life of the believer. That They can never be united as one because spiritually they are opposite. Now, I'm going to stop here for a moment. What, what if I'm a woman and I'm a Christian right now and my husband isn't? Are you saying, pastor, that I need to divorce him? No, I'm not. The Bible doesn't say that. You need to trust God and pray. If that's your situation, or if, you're, if you are married to a Christian man, and that man is, is not covering you and leading you, we'll talk more about this next week, then you need to read First Peter chapter 3, okay? Don't do that now when you get home. And if you forget what reference it is, you'll have to listen to the podcast to find out what it was. So what if you're married to a a man and he's not saved? Do you divorce him? No. What if you're married to a woman and she's not saved? Do you divorce her? No. Trust in God. Pray for your spouse. And pray that God fills you daily with his spirit so that he can reveal himself through you. And he will draw your spouse, to himself. Trust God. Is it a hopeless case? Will we always argue? Listen, my friends, it takes two people to argue. Did you realize that? Unless you want to stand in front of a mirror and have an argument with yourself, oh, that's pretty dumb. It takes two people to argue and, and your husband or wife who is not saved yet could try to provoke you, meaning to or just not meaning to, for you to get angry, for you to respond by sin, for you to be mean back, for you to respond in such a way that it hurts them. But listen, as a Christian, we don't have to. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Jesus said of himself, the prince of this world is is out to get me, but he won't because there's nothing in me. If our hearts are pure, my friends, if our hearts are pure and constantly being cleansed with the washing of God's word, then truly, whatever anybody does to us does not mean we have to respond with sin. Amen. And in that way, if your husband, your wife is not saved yet, you can be an incredible testimony to God's grace. You really can. You say, Pastor, well, me and my husband, me and my wife, yeah, we did what God says don't. I was saved and she wasn't. I fell in love with her and we got married. So should we get divorced? No. Trust God. Repent. Repent. Repent when God's word takes a hold of your heart, and you say, "You say, my God, I'm sorry. We we, met, we did this wrong. It's by your grace and your grace only that we're together. God, forgive us that we did this. Guess what God will do? In fact, guess what He's already done. He's forgiven you. Does it mean that our marriage is going to be, you know, second or third class? Absolutely not. If you repent and just submit yourself to God and allow God's word to come into your heart, you can enjoy the lordship of Christ in your relationship as anybody else. Can you see the wonder of God's love in all of this? But if you're not married yet, this is a really important word for you. And if you're parents with children, this is an important word for you to have in your heart. Not as a teaching... Not where you, 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 you uh, order your children, but you share it with them. You talk to them about the wisdom and the love of God. And how important it is that, that we allow God to be the one that brings us together together.